Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Claire Mann, a vegan psychologist and communications trainer in Sydney, Australia. Claire consults with a range of clients all over the world to enhance their communication mastery. She runs public and in-house training programs for corporations, large SMEs and non-profit organisations in communication, team building and ethical leadership. And she's the editor-in-chief of the digital business magazine Ethical Futures, Conversations That Matter, which champions initiatives that are profitable and successful without abusing people, the environment or animals. The author of several best-selling books, including Communicate, How to Say What Needs to Be Said, When It Needs to Be Said, In the Way It Needs to Be Said, Claire has worked in 15 countries, including the Middle East, throughout her decades-long career. Through a range of face-to-face and online skills training and programs, she also helps other vegans address the personal and social challenges of being vegan and living in a non-vegan world, as well as facilitating animal welfare organisations to collaborate for increased effectiveness. Claire is the co-founder of the Vegan Voices smartphone app, a free 30-day video training with tools and techniques to respond to typical communication challenges faced by vegans, as well as resources to support the information they share. She's a co-contributor to the Sydney Vegan Club 30-Day Vegan Challenge, the books Plant-Powered Women and Everyday Vegans, and a regular contributor to numerous vegan magazines. In this interview, Claire talks about how to handle difficult conversations when you're approached by non-vegan potential clients, particularly in the corporate and business sector, creative strategies to use your book or books to generate leads and sales, how and when to incorporate vegan values, including the type of language to use, to corporate and business audiences without alienating them, what true collaboration really means, and it's not what most people think. The importance of developing a friendly and positive relationship to money. The first thing to do if you're not getting the results you want in your business. How best to communicate information about your products or services, and much more. Here's the interview with Claire Mann of Communicate 31. Hello, Claire. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be on the call. Thank you. <laughs> so, look, I, I start off every podcast, as I, I know you know, because you listen to it. Um, I, I always like to find out why people do what they do, because, you know, we're all mission-driven entrepreneurs. And uh, what are your reasons for doing what you do? Well, in many ways, it's changed. And I'm in trying to find out what I do and find my sweet spot over over been many years. Um I've really realized that I'm helping people to find their purpose. 
I think most people spend their life in a bit of a trance and they conform and go along with myths and assumptions of what they should or must do. And by the time they get to a certain age and say, this isn't working for me, they're so grounded into something, it's hard to find their real passion. That's often when their body shouts out very loudly. So really what I do is to help people change their mindset and have a conversation with themselves to really ask the questions that matter and then match it with the linguistic mastery that enables them to share that passion, influence people and bring that into the world. Fantastic. Wow, that's a very good elevator pitch. That was. So is that, because I know with you, Claire, as we, we mentioned um, when I, I um, as I briefly mentioned in the introduction to you, you, you've got kind of several strands to your business. So you're an experienced psychologist, um, as well as organizational psychologist and communications trainer. So is that why that you just talked about that reason? Does that sort of encompass all of the, the types of work that you do? Well, I think as I started off answering the question, it's trying to crystallize you know what is it that I actually do and you might say well after 25 years surely you know I I know how it shows up but I think it's when I look around I have always asked questions since I was a young child and I had very philosophical parents you know what are we here for what's the purpose of this what are the struggles people have and in trying to make sense of my own life of course um, I've asked a lot of those questions And I've always wanted to be, I'm interested in people's story. How do they make their life be worth something when they get to the end of their life to say, I've had a well-lived life? And Katrina, I've never seen anybody totally happy until they do something beyond themselves. And whether that's the dog that lives next door or the community or whether it's on the world stage, people are seeking something to say, "I, I don't want my life to be nothing. And I guess being a psychologist, I've had the honor to hear thousands of stories of struggle. And ultimately, I think within that is a meaning and pur- a meaninglessness and purposelessness leads to a lot of anxiety and distress or doing what people feel they should or they must do. So I try to people to break those chains, to take absolute ownership for their lives and then go out in the world and, and find other people to do it with. Fantastic. So, Claire, so one, one of the things I want to talk about is some of the challenges um, for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs, um, and particularly people who work with, say, the corporate sector or with large SMEs. And I know as a, a psychologist, as a communications trainer, as an organizational psychologist, you do quite a lot of work with um, some corporate and, and large SMEs. You're also very publicly outspoken about being vegan and animal advocacy. So, can you talk to us about what? What are some of the challenges involved in running your businesses as a result of being so outspoken after you went vegan several years ago? Well, it's interesting. I thought there would be far more backlash because when somebody engages me to do something, say in a large organization, um, obviously they do a search on you. And it's no secret, of course, that I do write a lot and I speak a lot and I'm in the community and often running um, emceeing for rallies. So I'm pretty out there. There's been no major problems, actually. Um, I tend not to work for corporations these days unless they're someone I'm really happy with in terms of values. Um, I don't want to work for organizations that abuse people, the environment, or animals. And so often, either directly or indirectly, corporations get involved in that. So a lot of my work's with large SMEs or founder organizations, or as a founder member working in there. So... Often it first comes up when they ask me to lunch, of course, and then they realize I'm vegan, and we have a conversation around that. And it tends not to come up more than that um, 
unless there is something they ask me to be involved in that I will not be involved in. I'll give you an example in a moment. But I also run public courses where people from organizations and from the public join. And I hold those in large hotels in, in cities. And they're always vegan. And of course, people come. I don't, I don't even tell people. So people, particularly in our longer programs, are constantly having plant-based food, which is absolutely delicious. And so the debate comes up. And then, of course, through those programs, I share information with them. But it happens naturally. So it hasn't really stood in the way. And nobody's really challenged me on it yet. Um, but when it has come up in a minor way through a conversation, I tend to move in the area of ethical leadership and talk about doing the right thing and being profitable and successful without doing these abuses. Now, do you, that, that's great. I like that you've explained that. Um, didn't you say at one point, and I know just for everybody listening, Claire and I are friends and we work together. Um, have you had people sort of say, like see you being outspoken on Facebook, say, for example, and then say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be so outspoken because you might not get work. And if so, have you found that to be an issue? <laughs> Absolutely. That happened a few years ago. And I think the example I told you about, you were probably referring to. And I was speaking at a large rally. It was actually to do with the live exports of animals in Australia. And I was emceeing the event in Sydney and there were thousands of people there. And I was galvanizing interest and, and encouraging people. And I have a persona on Facebook and, and in every other social media we can talk about later that is never a rant. And I think that's very important for business people. Um, you have to act as if your client is in front of you at all times, whether you're talking about what you did at the weekend or at other times. And so this, I was talking about galvanizing effort and this is the right thing to do and we can be much better in this as a, a society. And somebody came across, contacted me and said, Claire, I just want to give you some advice. I'm doing this because it's good for you. This is really not good for your reputation. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I love those challenges. And so um, I as I always do in all good communication, never assume that what they're asking is what they're really looking at. And I asked him to explain himself and he said, well, you know, it's good not to align yourself and be so extremist. And I got him to explore that a little bit more. But what was interesting is I pointed out to him that I didn't think he was really taking responsibility for, for really wanting to criticize me to say that wasn't his values that actually he didn't agree with stopping live exports actually but he was trying to relinquish the responsibility by saying it wasn't good for me <laughs> um, and so I think there was a little twist there but um, but there's things I will not do and you couldn't pay me a million bucks to do it and can I give you an example of that Katrina? Sure. I remember um, I run a lot of public courses, half-day courses, which often a taste of courses into our larger programs and there was someone on there that said we absolutely love the program you've done on take back your power to be heard, it was called. And, and it was a bit, bit empowering language. Would you come and do some work in-house? And I said, that's wonderful. And the, the name of the company did not give away what they actually do. And so I rang her and we chatted and, and she said, we'd love to have you in. And, and as I did a bit of exploration, it was actually a chicken factory. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god! That's right. And she was so keen and she had the budget. And uh, and I had to have a difficult conversation and explain to her that I couldn't do that and why I couldn't. And the way I approached that was um, not to assume, of course, that her in HR would actually know the reality of what was going on. Because often people don't. They sit in the office and they have never been to that factory. And so I asked her, you know, um, I understand this is what you do. Um you, do you really have first hand of what the actual product and service is? And, and she didn't. And I was able to to share with her what really goes on and, and to say, I don't want to be part of that. And I'm sorry, I can't take 
part in that. So I had to turn that. And how did that? That's great. And I love that you're sharing this because this is really good tips for communication. You know, to I like the way you say, you know, that you don't go on a rant, and that's really important for business people. I think that's fantastic. So I I was kind of curious because people can get so defensive, and particularly if they're working for a company, and you know, they they're getting their wage. So I mean. How did that conversation go? And obviously, you know, you explained it, you know, as well as you could without, you know, being ranting and raving at her. But was she open to that or did she shut down or how did that conversation kind of go? Well, the way I positioned the conversation was to give give to a number of options. Firstly, to, you know, was she aware of this? Do you know, do you have the full picture? And so I, I sort of opened that up gently and said, hey, look, I don't know if you know, um, I've done a bit of research into you know, what goes on, particularly in animal industries. Um, and I don't know how much firsthand knowledge you have about actually chicken production. So I gave her the opportunity to say, oh, yes, I work on the factory floor and um, work with chickens or well, actually no, but I believe, you know, all our standards are very high. So I I gave her the opportunity to defend herself and so that she wasn't going to be implicated in me saying how awful this industry was. Mm. Um, and the next thing is, is and it's a tip I would use for everyone, use the word we. I said, you know, you know, often we're not told the full picture. You know, so often what happens in a part of our business is, you know, in a part of an organization. Other people aren't privy to. And yet when they become privy to that, they have to make certain choices. Um, so I went down that sort of route and um, explained to her that, um, you know, I cannot be part of something where I actually believe, I believe animals want their own lives for their own sakes. It's not only the standard and the way in which those animals might be treated. My personal values are there. Animals are there not for our use. And so I cannot condone facilitating an organization that's going to do more of that. I love that tip about the we. It's immediately, uh, you know, just goes off the defensive so people are more open to listening. I love that. I know I've heard you say that before, and I'm really glad you've shared that on the podcast. What was her reaction like when you said that? Was it a kind of, oh, okay, then, well, thanks, goodbye? Or did you sense any kind of resistance? Do you think, you, you, you know, you may have opened up the... Uh, her mind or anything like that? Well, there was immediately a level of cognitive dissonance, you know, a disconnect between what she was thinking, feeling and doing. Because, <laughs> you know, when somebody's faced with that information, you know, and their livelihood depends on it, it's very difficult for people to, you know, unless they've got such a compelling emotional connection with it in conviction that they say, I don't care what you're going to pay me. I don't care if I have to clean toilets. You know, I will have to stop this business. I have to stop doing what I'm doing. Um, she was uncomfortable and said, oh, gosh, I wasn't quite aware of that. But I respect your position. And I said, no. And, you know, I, I feel, you know, I'm honor bound to actually tell you about that, too, because actually you and I don't know. And when we become aware of that, and I appreciate the work you do in, in the accounts department, actually, in the HR, um, you know, and I, I know you're, you want your people to do it. And, and normally I would be very willing to do that. You know, if you want to come to one of my public courses, that's absolutely fine. But I I cannot be part of facilitating your organization to be successful when I don't actually agree with the end product. Got it. Got it. I love it. And I love the way you're so eloquent. I mean, I, I always <laughs> find that with, um, you know, you're, you, you sort of obviously you're a communications expert. That's your thing. And I, I love that you're sharing this because I think just by even listening to you say that and giving those examples, it's really helpful for, for us listening. And I include myself in that of how we can reframe conversations to not kind of ring them up and go, you've got to be joking. You know, you know what I mean? Which is sometimes <laughs> right. that kind of initial reaction we want to kind of resist. So I, I love that you're, you're able to 
to do that and that you've shared that. That's fantastic. So, Claire, so obviously your business and your brand, your brand is pretty much around you. Your companies Communicate 31, but then you're also Claire Mann, vegan psychologist. Um, So how, and as you say, you do one-to-one clients, you go in and, uh, you know, work with organizations, you run your own public um, courses and programs. How do you, there's only one of you in in terms of you being the brand. So how do you, um, how do you kind of leverage your skills to work with a broader base of people and do the the breadth of work that you're able to do? Yes. Well, like so many businesses, it starts off with a key individual. And when you're, you know, a psychologist or a speaker or a trainer, people are buying you. And that's how my business developed. So I, I started off, I was seeing people, I was running courses and they invited me in. And then and everybody listening to this will realize you can't really grow if it's just you, um, unless you have such a celebrity status that you're able to command, um, you know, worldwide fame. And there may be something listening, people listening want or don't want. You have to, to, to do something beyond yourself and engage other people or have services and products which get your message out beyond you maybe in, in books and products and, and trainings and whatever. But it's so really I am available to see people. My company is actually called Communicate 31. It's how do you become an expert communicator with yourself and others 31 days a month? So a lot of the programs I run are are for groups, for instance. We run leadership and communication programs, which are rolling programs, which people slot into over time. The, those groups grow. So there becomes a one-to-many sort of um, process going on there. Then we have a number of online programs. So we have a, an interactive video program called Five Keys for Better Getting Better Results. So again, that could be one to a million. Um, and we have books and services and, and more recently a smartphone app I'll talk about later. So I have leveraged myself in terms of me being available or the knowledge or the skills I think I bring to bear in ways in which I'm not needed, so to speak. I call it CNN, Claire Not Needed. (laughs) I love that. And I believe you're a big believer in systems as well. Absolutely. I'll move on to that in one second. But when I I also make time to see people one-to-one, and I only do that for a day or two a week, and that has grown tremendously in the vegan movement because of the, the... particularly people that come aware of animal social injustice, and they won't have access to me. That has become so popular that I'm not available in that way. So now I'm looking for ways beyond myself through trainings and uh, resources for people so that it can be one to a million. So, Fantastic. But systems are absolutely essential. You're, you're absolutely right there. A good tip I would like to give the listeners here is anything you have to do more than once it's, there's a system involved. <laughs> so in terms of from the moment a client gets to hear about you to the steps you take to them getting to know more about you, experiencing you, whether that's a, a free a free tasting in some way, um, to reading about you, if the more you can automate and systematize, and I'm a great one for having templated emails and letters that you can personalize and top and tail, but the chunk of the thing is always going to be the same. And then by this wonderful CRM systems these days. So if I promise to send someone something, I will call up either a template or even just put a tag next to their name and a standardized email will go for to them um, in a general sort of way. Or they sign up for something on my website and it is all automated. For clients that engage with me more personally, obviously there's a more personalized touch. But then you know, sending them a chapter of a book or a product or an article, I have all that automated as far as possible. 
Fantastic. In terms of your clientele, then, particularly the one-on-ones, you've said how popular that's becoming, that you're attracting vegan clients. Um, so what percentage then approximately would you say of your clientele are vegan and seek you out because you're a vegan psychologist compared with non-vegans who hire you simply because of your communications expertise? We're certainly one-to-one where people were looking for more coaching or more psychology intervention. I would say I've gone from no vegan clients you know, prior to being a vegan, then coming out of the closet and saying, I am a vegan psychologist, and that's the name of my website, Vegan Psychologist, I would say 75% of those clients are vegan and 25% aren't in that space. Wow. In the organizational space, it tends to be different. Because of my sort of standing in the communications and organizational psychology, um, I would say it's 15% vegan businesses and 85% non-vegan. Um, what's interesting is in my longer-term leadership and communication programs, people come from businesses and they join those programs. So it's lovely because they get I get a mix of vegans and non-vegans now um, that say, well, I want to take my business or my life or what my pursuit to the next level and I want to invest in that to do it and they mix with non-vegans and um and are absolutely delighted that they're on this program and and it's a plant-based you know offering of food and and also in that leadership and communication programs I use the opportunity particularly when I'm teaching people about empathy I say okay let's expand that circle of compassion and I actually show them eight minutes of um footage from factory farming and I say let's open the debate Um, And I present it in a way which is not about, hey, I want to impose these values on you, although indeed I do, Um, but in the (laughs) sense of, well, if we're going to be expansive, informed people, you don't have choice if you don't information. This is what we all need to know, and we need to expand our circle of compassion because if you're going to be a leader, you have a say in how this society is, so let's have the full information. So that's part of my advocacy. That's fantastic. I love that. And I think that's really good for people too, particularly people who are, you know, service providers and looking, you know, to go into that kind of business or corporate arena uh, to know that you you can go in there and you can almost like, I guess, yeah, gently expose people um, and still get work. So I think this is really great that you're a, a perfect example of that. And it's all about the way you communicate and the way you deliver that information. Like you said, it's not about, you know, going in there and ranting and raving and banging over the head, banging them over the head. Um, but gently, you know, bringing people round to, uh, yeah, to your values and, and opening their eyes. So I think this is, uh, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, now, in terms of standing out, so obviously, you know, we're all unique and, you know, we've all got our own skills and talent and you've packaged yours, you know, amazingly well with both the vegan psychologist and the communications. So how do you go about standing out both within the vegan business arena and outside of it and maintaining a steady flow of work? Well, I learned a long time ago, we can either have do the push or we can do the pull. <laughs> a lot of marketing is push, you know, and people putting all that information out there and saying, you know, uh, me, 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 so to speak, in the sense of pushing, come and buy what I've got, come and, you know, trying to p- push information at them. And I learned that pull was much better. It, if you, by becoming the expert in a particular area of sweetness that I have and everyone else listening also has, People will get attracted to you because, you know, we've got what's over 7 billion people on the planet. There are infinite problems. And if you can be the expert, people will gravitate towards you to solve their problems. So instead of just saying, having a bigger billboard out there saying, hey, look, let me get in front of you, the more you can 
present yourself, get in front of audiences through social media, through speaking, through talking, through getting your product and service out there by networking, doing all these things and demonstrating your expertise, people will go, I may not need this person now, but when the problem gets big enough, that's who I need. So it's what mm -hmm. I call pull marketing. Instead of trying to get it in front of them, and, and it used to be, as you know, advertising was a huge thing. And now that's a very expensive way of, of spending a lot of money. And, and if people haven't got the need immediately, they're not going to buy. But, you know, in the same way that what you do, Katrina, through, you know, this beautiful podcast is people are seeing you as the expert. And when they need help in this particular area, they're going to think of Katrina Fox. And I encourage everyone to do that. So in the service industry, that's particularly valuable. But also, if people are doing services or catering or anything, is really refine your product and sell the merits of that rather than, you know, compete with other people. We don't need to compete. People love variety and there's enough problems out there and enough, um, you know, there are psychologists that would work with people that would be better suited to their needs, communication people that would. So the more I can share my values and I encourage other people to do this, you know, people buy from people they like. And the more you can demonstrate who you are and what you're about and the value you're bringing to the world, I think that's what people resonate with. Mm, I love that. And you've touched on the element of collaboration um, when you mentioned, you know, so you refer on to the right person because it's about uh, refer a person on to a different practitioner, for example, um, because that's the right thing to do and you're serving them in that way. And I know that you are a big collaborator. You're big on partnerships and collaborations and joint ventures. Tell me, um, and you touched on this when you said, you know, this whole thing about oh, competitors. Um, tell us a little bit about that and why you believe collaboration to be so important. Well, there's two reasons is number one is the ideas that come out when brilliant minds come together. <laughs> and another part is I think it's we are we have a desperate need for collaborative leadership. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a wider sense in a moment. But when people come together, let's just, well, let's define collaboration. I don't think we see much of it. We see people call it that. But really, it's one person saying, hey, I've got the answer. I'll, get, I'll include your ideas in this. Give me an idea. But we're still going to go with my objective. True collaboration is something I think we've seen in writers and business people like Ricardo Semler. And he introduced, he influenced my business tremendously. And, and if people don't know him, Ricardo Semler wrote the book uh, Maverick. And he was the most extraordinary man. He wrote the book Maverick, the, most, the world's most unusual workplace. And he turned a, a business in rampant inflation in Brazil um, turned it from a sort of struggling business almost to one that sort of started turnover a fair amount to an extraordinary business by doing exactly the opposite to what 99.9% .9 of organizations do. He didn't have job descriptions. He didn't have person specs. He allowed the people to interview the managers and for the managers to have to prove what they were bringing to the organization, et cetera, et cetera. He truly collaborated, i.e., he brought people together and said, okay, we need to solve problems. This is our product, our service. How are we going to do this? Instead of me saying, well, this is what I want, you can add a few ideas. And in view of that, they, there was ideas and suggestions and systems that came out of a solution. So because people can commit to what they, what they uh, create. And so in terms of the world's problems, I truly think we need collaboration. We need to have a different level of thinking, as Einstein said, to, the, to solve the problems we've created. So number one, I don't think we see a lot of it, and I think at a bigger level to, to create problems. But collaboration is also, you know, I think it was Philip Wallin who said, if you want to go fast, you work on your own. If you want to go far, you need to collaborate with other people. 
Mm, I love that. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> when we come together with other people, we can work in our sweet spot and we can have win-win solutions. So I think there's a collaboration from we've got problems to solve or there's new products and services we do. Let's work together to create something beyond what we think individually is possible. And then another part is, is well, let's work to our sweet spots and we can have win-wins to our existing products and services rather than, I always get um, upset, Katrina. I know we've talked about this in the past when someone says, I was thinking of going to this business, but damn, someone else got there first. And, you know, all good entrepreneurs go, oh, great. Well, that problem's solved. That I don't need to do that. I can do this. What other problem exists or what other way can I solve this problem that some people will resonate with and other people will resonate with the other solution? You know, it's when I think competition comes from scarcity, says there's not enough to go around. Collaboration comes from a level of abundance that says, you know, let's 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 do more. There's enough problems to solve in the world. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. I love that. This is great stuff. So let's talk a little bit about marketing. So in terms of the use of the word vegan in your marketing and branding now, obviously, you've got Claire Mann, vegan psychologist. And as you said, one of your websites is um, veganpsychologist.com. But you've also got this other business, Communicate 31. So tell us a little bit about your use or otherwise of the word vegan um, and how you choose to use it and why. Yes. Well, if it's a particular vegan offering, I mean, um, people come to see a vegan psychologist because they say, well, if my psychologist really understood me, they'd either have to be become vegan or else they're a sociopath. <laughs> so and therefore, <laughs> if they don't understand me, if they're not vegan, they clearly don't understand me. And they're just playing lip service and empathizing with me, um, trying to at least with my viewpoint as opposed to this moral imperative um, or else, you know, they think it's OK to do this stuff. So I the specific offering there is that I am a vegan psychologist and I offer that context to do that or um, in vegan teaching people how to communicate more effectively through our other offering vegan voices it's vegan so I have no problem whatsoever because my market is vegan there are people that you know are vegan and need help to spread that message to the world of more compassion and and a better life in the other sort of areas um, I don't plaster vegan over it probably at all um, because of the stereotypes and limitations people have And most people in a fast-paced world will say, oh, vegan, they have a stereotype wrongly because I'm teaching them to ask more questions and maybe before they come to me, they don't ask enough. They get them to not, they jump to conclusions. So they would go, oh, that must be a a hippie who's a total greenie. And and whilst I think I am a hippie, a total greenie in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I don't want people to lose the opportunity to be introduced to living better and more compassionately. So I wouldn't do that. I'd use words like ethical leadership. I'd use words like doing the right thing, that, you know, finding our purpose and not being prepared to compromise our values. Because once people are in the room, then we can lay out the feast in front of them. So I think because I am appealing to a non-vegan market as well as, as well as a vegan in terms of those communication offerings, I don't want to cut off that opportunity. I certainly wouldn't hide it if people were to ask me. And in fact, I'll give you an example. I um, I'm very humbled to say I was in the first um, book last year, and there's going to probably be more, called 50 Unsung Business Heroes. Um, I don't think I'm unsung, and I don't think I'm a hero. <laughs> and it was Australian stories of 50 people that, you know, we really sort of developed from the back bedroom up to sort of having a far more if, if, if offering in the world or standing in the world. And I used that opportunity 
to be interviewed. And I do mention vegan. I say, you know, my I'm a, um, a business person and I teaching communication and leadership and I'm also a vegan. And, and let me just tell you what that is. And actually in my chapter, I talk about that that is the I am a vegan and how that shows up is through ethical leadership. And I believe that we should not get involved in businesses that are. Um, and abusing people, environment or animals and certainly encouraging those that to actually move in the direction of absolute minimization of that. Um, not that it's okay to do a bit, but, you know, where they are, I'd rather they were pushing in the direction to be their eyes more opened so that they can be even more opened. Um, and I said, then, therefore, and part of my advocacy is that I, you know, offer those services to animal advocacy groups where I MC or I offer pro bono training to help people communicate better. So I was able to get in front of quite a sophisticated market and talk vegan. But then I wasn't out there marketing my courses at the time. I was speaking to colleagues and and I was also given a platform to say this is an expert and until so there I saw it as an ideal opportunity. Wonderful. That's great. Um, in terms, you mentioned books. I know you're the author of several books on mindset and communication. And obviously, having a book, it's a great way to position yourself as an expert, as well as raise the profile of your brand. Now, what I quite like about you is you you tend to use books in quite a clever way um, to get clients. You don't necessarily sell your books, or you do sometimes, but, but you also kind of package them up and use them uh, to get other types of business for your companies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Now, I would love it as every author, and you're an author, and there's authors listening, all of us believe we have something amazing, and we do. And we think, once I get it out there, it'll sell a million copies. And indeed, it should. (laughs) (laughs) And the reality is, though, um, is number one, people are often lazy. We're also in a world of a bit of entitlement with um, the internet and things. And people think, well, why should I buy this? Or they would rather pay a lot more money for us to die, to break it into bits and give it to them. Um, and so I think if we have a specific solution to a problem that is so burning, um, you know, say somebody has a real health problem, and this is the absolute solution to it. Um, or you're a bestseller of a novel, you've, you've already got a, and people love you as an author, and then you've got a big marketing machinery behind it and lots of people investing in you to do that, you're going to sell a million books. For the average person, they're not going to. And the best way to sell a lot of books is to actually use it more creatively. Um, so instead of selling a $30 book, um, I tend to see them as $5 business cards, or if they're hardback, which one of mine is a $25 business card. Um, and it's only good to do that if you can't just leave it to chance. I'll give these things out and hope people will come back. So I often use them as what I call ethical bribes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that term. <laughs> they're words that wouldn't seem to go well together, but some That's <laughs> right. So say, for instance, I'd give a lot of talks. So I may be called to speak to a group of um, small businesses. and I have an agreement with the people housing me to do that, that, okay, I won't be paid for my talk as long as I can talk about what I am what I offer. Because a lot of paid speakers are not allowed to talk about what they offer and they hope that people remember who they are and they'll go to the website and take action. Most people won't because they're too busy and the phone goes. So I never do a speaking event without leaving. Vegan issues are different because I, it's a different energy there and people come to me in different ways. But if I go and say talk at an event, I will not leave without everybody's business card. Now, how do you get people to give you their business card? <laughs> you often, obviously, I give a, a great talk, and I say to people, um, who's open to an ethical bribe? You know, I would like to have your details. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I would love to open up a conversation to see if what I offer for you is, is a good fit. 
It may or may not be. So um, what I want to offer to you is I will give you a free either chapter of my book or give you a free PDF of a book. In fact, I'm going to give one physical one here now and I hold it up. But what I want from you is a business card. Now, I will contact you. I won't have, you know, send you loads of stuff without your permission. And you can unsubscribe if you like after I send you the book. But, you know, you've come here tonight. And if this resonates with you, I want to talk to you more because maybe there's also things you do that I'm interested in. So I use them in that very creative way. It's also a very generous act because when you give somebody something, you're saying, look, here's a part of me. And um, it's a fabulous marketing tool. But you've got to be able to follow it up. If you just give stuff away, you kind of it costs you too much. <laughs> it's um, yeah. it's not like willy nilly giving thirty dollar books away unless it's going to. So I would give one away, and then I would say, look, um, or I often give you know maybe a few places on a course, say a half day program or something, um, and then people have to give their email to me and all their emails, and I pull the names out of a hat. But then I'll also respond to those people and say, look, everyone gets something. So I'll give you a, a chapter of the book related to this. So it's a generosity, but you have to be able to follow up on it. If you can't, then you're going to be sitting waiting for the phone to ring. Mm, brilliant. I love that. It's such good advice. I think a lot of people like you're right, particularly people who've written books. It's all about, okay, right, I've got to sell the book, I've got to sell the book. So I love that you you use them creatively. I've seen you do it. So I'm really uh, glad that you've shared that on the podcast. Thank you. That's fantastic. So in terms of um, marketing and promoting your brand, so I know that you've been featured in quite a lot of media. Um, you know, you're often called on to appear on TV shows as a psychologist, you know, commenting on a range of, uh, of issues. So how important has that been in terms of raising your brand awareness and generating leads and sales? Sure. Well, it's funny, isn't it? It's um, I always think someone's got to be the expert. It might as well be me. <laughs> you know, and I say that to everybody because everyone says, well, what point do you become an expert? It's when people believe you know something sufficient that they're and you've done your homework and you have a body of knowledge and expertise to give them something of value. Um, and I think uh, it was a great day for fools when modesty became a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> now, and I'm not talking about smugness. I'm not talking about having such an ego that you're, you know, pontificating and, and, and saying I'm something. But, you know, don't hide your light under a bushel, I would say to people. You, if you have a product or a service and you add real value and if you're a vegan business, you tick the box already, is, you know, you have a moral and ethical obligation to get it out there and you do not want to play small. You you owe it to people, you owe it to the animals, you owe it to the planet and you owe it to mankind to at this time in our history to push that along. So media has been enormously valuable because you can get to a wider audience. Now, I tend to be called in generally as a psychologist um, about, you know, I've been called on daytime television, for instance. And I always... on it's very important and you would train people in this way I, I know is people often go on to the media and think oh great I'm going to be asked lots of questions and then people will answer me you've got to take the lead I will decide that there is something I absolutely whatever question they ask me I must get across <laughs> and it may yes. just be a couple of sentences and I know this is the sort of advice you've also given me so if you just passively respond and let the person go there they're often there with the criteria of what they've got to achieve on the show I will get something across about my values and my expertise and what's important there. So I will get that across. Now, it's been enormously valuable, but if we wait for the phone to ring again, it's not going to go anywhere. You have to pick up things. So whenever I'm on television, so I will have that recorded, whether I've got someone, you know, getting it off the website afterwards or whatever. Um, 
or an article in a magazine or something, and I will turn that into a blog, usually, which I top and tail, and I put it on my website, and then I share it on social media. And then I also keep it as a PDF, and I usually put it in sequences where I am keeping my people warm that have come on courses and things, and I want to get them to engage with me. I will send it as a broadcast to people and say, hey, there was something I did over Christmas in a magazine which was called Revertica. Why do people revert to behaving badly at Christmas? And, you know, whatever we think of those social traditions, uh, particularly as vegans, it can be a little challenging with some of the consumption that goes on. Um, I use that as an example. So I would use that and I'd send a nice little email out with a link to that and a recording. And but you've so media is fabulous, but you have to do something with it and you have to take it further. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I always advise people to do. It's like you don't just do it and that's it because, you know, as like you say, you're doing all the right things and you're sending that out to your people. It's it's completely cement. It continues and continually cements your authority and your credibility um, without, like you say, you being, you know, kind of bragging and going, hey, I'm an expert. Buy something from me. You're kind of saying, hey, you know, I thought you might be interested in this article. But by doing that, you're kind of subtly and, and softly letting them know, hey, you know, yeah. you're, you're an expert. So it's done quite naturally. Actually. Um, and are those media ops, Claire, are they predominantly come from you just kind of being out there yourself? So rather than you kind of hunting or chasing down media ops, that the media have found you simply because you've continued to put yourself out there and create this content? Yeah, it tends to be. And this thing goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. You have to position yourself as the expert. So if you can give high quality you know, dialogue articles and videos and be generous, when people are looking for things, you'll come up. Now, this isn't just for people in the service industry. It can be with other people. And so if people are, say, in catering or in other products, stand back and you're not just selling cakes. You know, you have a you stand back about that and think, what else am I offering to people? There's health giving benefits. There's, you know, um, people are able to enjoy all the benefits of eating sweet things and still have a beautiful plant-based product, start writing around those areas because it will be beyond and then you'll beyond the actual production of your product or actual thing. And so when people might ring you up and they say, well, you know, there's a move towards plant-based catering, what do you think? Someone rings up the person producing cupcakes, they're able to talk about that and this increased need of the market and health and 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 realizing where our food's produced. And hey, by the way, this is my this is my shop and this is my offering. Okay. Yeah. So it's people getting really creative to and I can, a lot of people, particularly small vegan businesses say, how on earth will I possibly have the time to do this? And um, you've got to be in for the long haul. You know, it takes 20 years to be an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully not <laughs> so long. And if you're doing a physical product, say a restaurant or something like that. But if you look at some of the, um, in fact, Gigi's restaurant in, in where we live in Sydney, there was a beautiful um, a dear colleague of both of ours, Kihi Adani, who's the veganizer in, in the US, done a wonderful article recently on Gigi's. Um, it was a pizzeria that took a long time to get off, several years to become a successful Italian pizzeria. And then they transitioned to being vegan. But when they give this, everyone thinks, well, well, they were already established and everyone knew them. But they started off with they didn't have any customers. You've got to be in for the long haul. You've got to to not be afraid to talk about the value of your product and service. You've got to look at all aspects of your business. You've got to be able to promote it. And this is the hardest thing. Um, the best product, you know, the best marketing can sell the worst products. And yet the best product may not get out of there because no one can hear about it. So 
you can, can't afford not to do it. Now, all entrepreneurs, and they've taught me so much, is if we haven't got any money, there's a way to do it. You can collaborate with other people. You can trade your time and your energy. You can look for other ways to do things. You can bring on students who need experience and they're good at social media. Look for creative ways. There's lots of vegan advocates out there that could do work for you because that would be their advocacy. And they would do it because they would love the experience and you could feed them in, you know, vegan pies for the rest of their year. <laughs> is, you know, the lovely thing about the vegan movement is there are, is a bigger philosophy here. People want to get the message out about veganism. And so, you know, it's not about competition and, and, and you're not paying me, so why should I do this? You know, together we're changing the world and we live in a physical reality Money is a great opportunity to, it's energy, and we have opportunity through that. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about money mindset and selling, because it can be a sticking point for some vegan business owners, particularly if they come from an activist background, um, you know, and they're starting up their own business. What tips can you offer to help them get comfortable with selling and money? Yes. Well, I think um, our relationship with money, for all of us, every person on the planet, because we are in a, we have the medium of money, and I'll talk about be a philosophical picture in a moment it's a spiritual journey because whether people are comfortable with money or whether they think it's the root of all evil <laughs> um, we have to come to terms with at this moment in our reality money is something we have it's a neutral thing actually um, it can be used for great good and it can be used for evil okay now people have to live. <laughs> we live in an economy where we have to pay bills, we need a roof over our head. And if we think it is the root of all evil, and we've associated it with greed and profiteering, which is also out there, we will give out an energy that means money can't really come to us. Um, we will be afraid to put a value on what we're offering. We will be afraid to charge enough for our services. And so I really encourage people to, they've got to develop a mindset that is an abundance mindset that says, you know, if I can put a real service on my value, on what I do, a real value on my service, I will be able to generate income and get my message and my product and service out there and also not be struggling to pay the rent. And also I can think what I could use this other stuff for. Wouldn't it be lovely when we hear about the sanctuary that is struggling? I can write a check for $1,000 or $100 or $50. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But if we're struggling with money and we're afraid, we think it's the root of all greed, then we will never put a true value on what we do and we'll be struggling because we will not be able to afford what we do. I love that you say that because it's almost like there's, I've found in the activist community particularly, also within the creative industries to some degree as well, it's almost like a badge of honour that you're not rich, that yeah. you're broke. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like this rite of passage and somehow if you are a, quote, rich vegan or something like that, you know, or perceived in that way, you know, or have financial wealth, um, that, I don't know, somehow you've sold out or, yeah. you know, there's something unethical about you. And I think that's really very sad. Um, but as I say, we all throughout our lives, in fact, if you think about it, and, I, and this is where I want to take a, a open up a little topic that I want people to think about. I've recently come across a phenomenon called Ubuntu. Now, I did know about that because in, in a previous life, I'd done a lot of training and development in Africa. And Ubuntu is a, a principle about... Um, collaboration and that things should not be done if they have any damage to people environment and planet okay but a beautiful south african writer called Mike, michael tellinger has written a beautiful book called ubuntu and you know it's like katrina when you come across ideas and you go oh my goodness this is so it resonates with me i'm going to say something pretty out there now 
I believe that veganism should be the common, the status quo in our world. And I think Ubuntu has the potential to take it to another level. Now, the principle of Ubuntu is actually living without money. And it's not socialism, it's actually wow. contrib contributionism. <laughs> and wow. because if you look at it, in fact, Michael Tallinger, and, and I don't want to go too far off topic, but I think it's highly relevant here because it shows the disconnect we have, all of us, vegan or not, about money. We either have a lot too much of it and we, we squander it or we get greedy. Michael Tallinger talks about money was never really developed as a medium of exchange instead of a bale of wheat or something. Money in the Sumerian tablets was talked about as a creation of a form of slavery. And he's a historian. And when you look at how this was set up to enslave people, because if you think about it, Katrina, it does enslave people because people will tell you far more personal details about their lives before they tell you what they earn. Mm. Yes, because if someone says, well, I actually earn $50,000, will we think less or more of them than someone who earns half a million? We judge people and people. We do. We that's do. right. Yeah. And now, is that coincidence? Is that because we've evolved to that? Michael Tellinger would say, look at history. It actually was a form of slavery. And actually, as long as we've got money, it is a divider. Now, I, having dipped into his works and now reading that book, I believe Ubuntu is probably the vehicle upon which veganism and creating a vegan world can take it to the next level. And I know some of my writings, I haven't written a book on veganism yet, and I could see people are pushing me to do it. I think it's going to take place between these two worlds, is how can we be you know, profitable and successful in its widest sense, i.e. expansive, abundant, that because if we didn't have money, if you think about it, nobody would want five Porsches because the, the person who wants five Porsches, who can't even ride all of them, only wants yeah. it to prove they can afford it. Status, yeah, That's right. exactly. Let's get over that. Um, and, and what if we would ever contribute truly and be – what creative and innovation would come up if people weren't battling to say, well, what area of the city do I want to live in to prove I can afford it? Um, but in that yeah. journey as we get there, I encourage people to say, okay, with a vegan with a big heart – who has a message to the world at this moment in time, as we're learning about the Ubuntu movement, let's, let's make friends with money. Let's see it as an opportunity. What that it is a form of energy because it's neutral. It's a value we put on it. If you're not going to struggle and you're able to get your message out there, which I think is a moral and ethical responsibility, then let's embrace money for what it is. Um, and encourage people to partake of these vegan services, um, and usher in this new era. Fantastic. I love that. That's a brilliant example. I love what you said about, yeah, because it it, it's that kind of, I love the sound of that and that system. But yeah, like you say, at the same time as we learn more about it and spread the message, we've we've still got to make friends with money. I like that. that that's a great, a great phrase. So we're going to be wrapping up shortly because I know we've, you've shared some great stuff. Obviously, as a communications expert, and you've already given us, um, I know, um, some fantastic tips. Obviously, as you've said, communication is really important when you're running a business, whether that's communicating with your staff, your customers, your suppliers, stakeholders, not everybody gets it right, and particularly when they're starting out. So as a communications expert, can you offer us um, some other tips or one, perhaps one or two key tips or strategies um, or for vegan entrepreneurs on how to communicate effectively? Absolutely. Well, it, I would say I could spend a lot of time talking about this. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, <laughs> this is what you do. I know that you do kind of, you spend whole days and courses. So just to kind of, yeah, very briefly, a kind of little, yeah, little sure. couple of nuggets. Well, <laughs> I believe that the quality of our results in every area of our lives is proportional to the quality of our communication. 
And that's the communication with ourselves and with others. So the communication with ourselves is we've got the community. First tip I will give is people have got to have a frank conversation with themselves. Whatever is happening in your life is a reflection of how you feel about yourself. And therefore, you may have to have a difficult conversation with yourself. What is your disconnect? What is your inability to ask for more, to ask for help, to charge what is worth? So the first thing is, if you're not getting the results you want, start to look at your mindset, your values, and your beliefs. You know, invest time, energy, and money. Buy books. Listen to podcasts. And really learn. Seek out the help of someone to get that right. Because so much of it is our unconscious counterintentions are more powerful than our conscious ones. So there's a bit of help on that side. As far as communicating our business is, you know, really you're trying to share your love of your product or service with those people who are dying to have their, you know, so I don't like to use that word, who are desperate to, you know, have their problem solved. And so find a way to truly convey the value of what you do. People are very keen to say what they do. The client doesn't really care what you're going to do. They want assurance of what are you going to solve for them or what value will you add to their life. Um, In getting to know people, don't assume that when people ask you questions that you know what they're asking for. My biggest tip is to don't assume, therefore ask a question. So if someone says, well, you know, so what do you do? Tell me what you do. Tell me why I should buy from you. And say, okay, well, in order for me to answer that question properly, I need to know a little bit about more what you're actually, what you do and what your pressing problem is so that I can position it and, and tell you specifically how it's going to be of value. All right. So when people say, tell me what you do, what services do you have? Um, well, there's a lot of things I do. But in order to ask that, answer that specifically relevant to you, tell me specifically what you're looking for. In other words, get the other person to do a little bit more work. And then you'll know your audience better. And then you're able to position the value of what you offer to other people. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. And it actually reminds me as well about the whole listening thing. I actually saw something, a meme someone had posted on Facebook today, and it was about most people um, don't listen to communicate um, or most people don't listen to understand. They listen to reply. And and I think it's about that whole thing of, you know, actually listening to what someone has to say so that you do, as you've just suggested, you really understand what their needs are rather than just waiting for them to finish so you can you know, start talking. So I love that you've you've explained that um, in a, a yes. really good way. That's a great tip. So final couple of questions, just briefly, then what have been the key lessons you've learned through running your businesses? Well, um, it's the biggest personal development uh, course you will ever go on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and success doesn't come in um, in a straight line. It come, it, You have to go from peak to peak. You go up one minute and down the next. You know, you have a lot of success things start working and then something doesn't. Um, you, you have to keep keep investing in yourself. Um, your mindset is important. It's very easy when things don't work and the clients don't come and the, the bank manager's banging at the door, um, you know, to actually lose heart. Um, but as Edison said, after 8,000 renditions of trying to create the electric light bulb, I just found 8,700 yeah. ways, 7,000 ways not to do it. So is be in it for the long haul. Be curious. It, when something doesn't work, it doesn't mean it has failed. It, you're actually, you know, failure is installments along the way to success. And um, another thing is be prepared to invest in help well before you can afford it. <laughs> now, I'm mm. not talking about being reckless. I'm not talking about, you know, stashing up the credit cards, although that to some extent, may be necessary sometimes in taking a loan and doing whatever. Um, but, you know, ensure you get the help. 
Um, you can't be good at everything. The, the, go along with the Pareto um, principle, which is 80% of your results will come from 20% of your actions. So find yeah. out what your sweet spot is. And if your advice, your work is media, training people to position themselves and get the best value from that, the rest of it is try to get rid of as much as possible. Um, and find creative ways to do that. So, and it may be an exchange with other people um, and collaborations. Cool, cool. Um, and then just finally, what's your long-term vision for yourself and your brands? Well, I think my long-term vision is to bring Communicate 31 to a position um, where Claire is definitely not needed. <laughs> and then I can move <laughs> it beyond that and, um, you know, maybe have people that turn it into something else. But then really... Um, and this is really becoming very public to the world, is is to move more into 100% working to create a vegan world. Um, and it may well be, um, so veganizing the world, I guess, would be my sort of thing. So the long-term vision is, and it may come through still working in a general way to the public, <laughs> um, but actually becoming more, far more outspoken about the imperative of veganizing our world and our businesses. So I'm finding a way I've done that at the moment is to talk about ethical business um, but I see, I want to help vegans communicate this message. And, and I haven't mentioned one of my products, but people will be increasingly aware of it is, is we've just created a new smartphone app, which is free, um, 30 days of free video training on how to communicate all things veganism and it's vegan-voices.com. And so I want to give people the tools and the techniques to change the world. And so I see an increasing amount of my time being using the craft and the expertise I have to communicate. And maybe it's, you know, help working in a much bigger way, either with individual vegans through products and services, or increasingly in some of my public programs is, is working more with vegan businesses and entrepreneurs and, and people in all areas of life do. Let's get the message out there because, you know, there's a big need and we need to speed this process up. We do. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Claire, you've shared so much amazing information. Um, I, I know it's only so much we can get into a, uh, you know, a 45, 50 minute podcast. So uh, I do encourage people listening to, you know, check out the certainly the Vegan Voices app. It's free. It's got, um, you know, amazing um, training on it. I know I've been to your live trainings. I think I've even helped out with one of them. Um, and um yeah, so it's been absolutely fantastic. Really love what you're doing, both in the business world and and helping vegans and animal advocates to share the message. It's really, really important. It's such an important message and we need to communicate it the very best that we can. And you're doing a fantastic job doing that. So thank you so much for joining me today, Claire. Thank you. It's been a delight. And thank you to, you know, for setting this up and the work you do and, and just encourage people out there, you know, keep going, get your message out to the world and, um, you know, we, we're all adding to this thing called raising consciousness in the world. So that was Claire Mann from Communicate 31. You can find out more at communicate31.com and veganpsychologist.com. And those links are on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 55. Now for our vegan business news roundup. UK supermarket chain Sainsbury's has reported that sales of its vegan cheese have exceeded the company's expectations by 300%, reports Plant Based News. 
Now, in late 2016, you may remember I reported that the vegan cheese, released under the Free From brand, made international headlines after a woman complained that vegan cheese should not be called cheese and suggested it be called Gary. <laughs> now, in related news, Sainsbury's is planning to rearrange its shelves to persuade customers to eat less meat, reports the Daily Mail. It's part of an initiative with Oxford University scientists to help combat climate change as well as improve people's health. Some of the options being considered are giving customers who buy vegetable products a voucher and placing veg and vegan alternative proteins next to meat products. Wow, <laughs> this is pretty cool and I'm particularly pleased about this because I used to do my shopping in Sainsbury's in Camden Town when I lived in London and it was hard to find tasty vegan cheese back in 1996. How things have changed. And this is a big step for a major retail chain to take in influencing its customers to buy less meat. Let's hope that the sales of vegan cheese continue as well as plant-based meats so that eventually supermarkets ditch all animal products. Also in the UK, iconic retail chain Marks & Spencer has launched two vegan sandwiches for the first time, reports The Sun. And although the story was reported in other media, I'm quoting The Sun because it's a major tabloid newspaper in the UK. My dad used to read it every day along with The Mirror. And you wouldn't normally expect to see a positive story about veganism in it. So that's pretty cool. The two new sandwiches are the Super Green, which contains edamame and minted pea filling on a chia and linseed bread. While the rainbow veg sandwich combines roasted vegetables and avocado with pumpkin seeds on a red pepper bread. According to The Sun, M&S sells over 1.5 million sandwiches every week with over 30 fillings. But this is the first time the company has sold vegan friendly sandwiches. So again, we're continuing to see moves by huge retail chains to embrace vegan and plant-based foods. It's slow yet steady. You may remember in a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk, I reported that popular US alternative meat company Tofurky plans to launch a range of vegan sandwiches in the UK in 2017. A vegan congee store is about to open in New York's Chinatown, reports Veg News. The Good Sort, owned by Australian Eddie Buckingham and his partner, Chinese-born Jeff Lam, will offer a plant-based version of congee, a sweet and savoury dish served for breakfast in China. The menu includes a mushroom congee with braised shiitake and jacama, a pear crumble congee, as well as some non-congee dishes. Teas, juices, pastries and colour-coded lattes that are made with coconut, oat or almond milk bases, then coloured with ingredients such as beets, turmeric, algae, matcha and activated charcoal will also be served. Well, this is innovative. I hadn't actually heard of congee. And again, this is a great example of the many possibilities available for vegan entrepreneurs to create niches within the vegan niche. Fantastic. Finally, Sydney is about to get Australia's first vegan ice cream truck. 
Over the Moo will offer its coconut-based products currently available in supermarkets out of a restored 1981 Ford Transit van that will be rolling around Sydney streets, parks, markets and festivals from the 2nd of March. Customers will be able to choose from the brand's popular flavours, including salted caramel, ginger nut biscuit, matcha and black sesame, plus sundaes with brownie bits and cookie chips. Woohoo! <laughs> this is music to my ears. And talking of music, when I posted about this story on my social media earlier this week, I requested that the van consider using disco music to attract people rather than the creepy tunes that most ice cream vans use. <laughs> Either way, I'll certainly be keeping my eyes and ears out for it. So this is a great initiative. Over the Moo have identified a gap in the market and taken action to be the first to service that market by adding the van to their current business model. Very smart. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 